turn the microphone on. All right. Hey, good morning. So this is going to be a fun morning. How's everybody doing? So, oh, we're looking at the second to the last portion of First Peter. Hey, hey. So would last week, guys, is that exciting? Morning. I'm not sure who all is online yet, but morning. Hey, grab your coffee. I'm going to dig into this one. This is going to be a really good one. Trying a slightly different, uh, slightly different thing here. So hang on one second. I gotta update this here somewhere else. I actually might not be able to. So ah, here it is. There we go. All right. Sorry about that, guys. Hey, morning. Morning, mom. <laughs> And then Vicky, hi, wow, there's this love and sport, love it. Hey, guys, so, all right, so we're going to get going on this. Uh, it's, I know we've been we've been pushing a little longer on these than was initially hoped for and anticipated, but we're going to just push through this and see, see where it goes and how this works, so. Um, but we have two more studies left in First Peter, so we're just, we're just going to push through this here. So let's get started in this. Now, remember what we were working on before. So we had the beginning of 1 Peter um, recognizing that there's persecution and trials in life. And then we have, it moves forward into how to live your life. And now we're into the closing out of chapter four. And we're going to go into, uh, not today, but on Saturday, we're going to go into uh, chapter five, where he's rolling out and ending this. So this section here that we're looking at today, he finishes up with the how to live, and he talks about why we should live this way and why it's important to continue on with that. So let's get into this here. All right, so 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 7 and 19, we're reading out of English Standard Version this time, which says, The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keeping love one excuse me, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves is one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. And he continues. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? 
Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Got a bit in here today, right? This is good. So this breaks down into two basic sections. First of all, we are to be motivated by the end times. This is verses 7 to 11. And we are to rejoice in purifying suffering, verses 12 to 19. All right, let's dig in. Verse 7, end at hand. So the end of all things is at hand, okay? This... This is one of those things that's it's interesting to think about and interesting to talk about. So when at least when I would think about end times and when most people discuss end times, they're talking about, you know, especially right now, people are talking about, oh, look, this this end time prophecy is happening. This end time prophecy is happening. The end is at hand where the Jesus is coming back or or uh the rapture is happening, either which way, whatever direction you look at that theologically. Um we see throughout scripture, they talk about the end time and how the end time is now. And there's a difference in mindset in this. And I, I think we need to, to point that out really fast. In scriptures, when they're talking about we're in the end times, we need to look at this as the overarching theme of creation. Okay, God created the world. He created uh, everything on it. You know, he created man and woman. And he created all the animals. And... Then sin happened and we then began living in a fallen world and death started to happen, illness, troubles, everything else started to come out of this. So then God had a salvation plan that he put in place, okay? Uh, flooded the world, Noah's day, right? Because Peter keeps pointing back to Noah. So we, we have that and then it goes on and it just continues on until Jesus, we have the Messiah that comes and creates the salvation. Now, that is the ending when Jesus came and then he died, living a perfect life, died at the cross, resurrected, ascended. And then we also see some people like to, to group in uh, the, the Pentecost when the Holy Spirit came upon people. That was the finishing section of God's salvation plan. So the end time is at hand. So ever since that happened, the end time has been at hand and been now because that salvation plan was finished. And so the only thing left is the closing of the book, which would be uh, either um, the rapture. Again, depending on your theology, it might be a rapture or it might be the second coming of Christ. Either way, I mean, I hope it doesn't, doesn't change how you view God, whether you believe Jesus comes and you're raptured or if you believe you're raptured and Jesus comes. It, sh it shouldn't matter at that point, right? But... That's just the closing of the book, but we're in the end times and we have been in the end times for 2000 years because Jesus came. That salvation plan is finished and completed. So we have salvation. Okay. Now he then goes on and says, therefore be self-controlled and sober minded for the sake of your prayers. Okay. So again, remember God cares how we live our lives. And God listens and his eyes are on the righteous. So we need to be mindful of how we live because that impacts our relationship with God. Now, chapter, or excuse me, verse eight, we start looking at Proverbs. Now this is pulled basically from Proverbs 10, 12. Um, Hatred stirs up strife, 
but love covers all offense. Okay, above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins, right? So love trumps anger. It's, it's greater than anger, and it helps overlook the wrongdoings that we do to each other. Now, notice here that I'm saying that we do to each other. These are not sins that we do um, how God views sin. It's not sins towards God, but it's sins that we do to each other. This is things that we do wrong to one another, and it helps cover those sins so that we can live more uh, hospitably. We can live better together, right? This is sins towards each other and our relationships with one another. Okay. Nine, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. Now, in this day, um, not meaning today, but in the day of Peter's, Okay, so this is 63, 64, 80, and in a Roman territory, right? Asia Minor, this is controlled by Rome. Hospitality literally meant having guests at your house. So if somebody was traveling, you were pretty well assumed, and, and it was the right thing to do, that if someone you knew traveled into your town, you were to host them. You were to, to be a place for them to stay. You were to take care of them, uh, let them stay in your place. Uh, provide security and safety for them if needed, um, feed them, give them everything that they needed while they were there. And you were supposed to do this without expecting any form of payment or even uh, thinking. Like, you know, you were, this is kind of a thankless act. You were just expected. It was known that people did this. It seems kind of odd to us, but at the same time, they didn't have the regulations that we have today. And so the inns, the hotels that they would have, uh, weren't exactly safe. You could easily get stabbed or uh, diseased from from being at some of these these inns and hotels. So it wasn't safe to do that. So if you knew somebody where you were going, you st- just stayed with them. And so this church being brothers and sisters, one body, right? One family, they would help each other out. And so you were expected if somebody was traveling from one place to your area that was part of the church, you were to take care of them. And so he says to do this without grumbling. Don't don't grumble behind their back. Don't regret doing this. Don't sit there and be like, oh, this person's just, it's a pain. So it's such a total pain. It reminds me of an old uh, Norwegian saying, which I know it comes from so many different areas, but, uh, you know, we had an old family member, uh, Annie from Norway, and she would always, you know, hear that accent and love it. But um, something I'd hear her say every now and then when I was a kid growing up, was, uh, you know, you'd, uh, having fish in the house is a wonderful thing, but after a few days, they start to stink, right? So to do this without grumbling, even when the fish starts stinking, it's okay. You just let it go, right? Do what you're supposed to do. Um, so yeah, do what you're called to do without complaining or seeking reward. And this is also a sign of leadership, which is interesting that hospitality is a sign of leadership. But we see this in 1 Timothy uh, chapter 3. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach. The husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach. Okay, so this is interesting here. Peter's actually going through quite a bit of this list. He's not saying keep one wife and only have one wife, but he's saying be sober-minded, be self-controlled, love one another, you know, be respectable, love one another, huh? And be hospitable. Wow. So Peter's actually kind of going down the line of what it is called. Like if you're called to teach and to be an overseer, 
you need to be able to hold these. So this is a sign of leadership. And he's saying that we should all live the lifestyle that is acceptable for a leader because we're part of God's people. We are God's representatives here on earth. So therefore we are leadership. We need to be able to live the right life and do this. Okay. Verse 10 all are gifted to serve. Okay, so as each has received a gift, and all of us are, all of us have received a gift of God, right? Use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Now, stewards is an interesting thing. We, we need to look at ourselves as stewards, and stewards are held accountable for how they use what they've been given. Okay, if you are given stewardship over someone's money, they care how you use that money. If you're supposed to grow it, you are held accountable to grow that money and to make that money more for them and to use it better. If you manage someone's business for them, they expect you to make that business profitable, to run the team well, to keep the, uh, to keep the um, morale up, to have everything working properly, to do a good job. You are held accountable for what you do and how you do it, okay? And we can even see God cares about this. We see in Matthew 25 with the parable of the talents, okay, talents being money. Um, we all, I would hope most of us know uh, the majority of this one. So you have three different servants, the, the master's leaving, he gives one servant a good chunk of money, gives another servant a little less money, he gives one servant just one piece, right? One talent. And the, the guy who gets 10, uh, creates a business, the guy who gets less does something else, but they both make money and grow it with interest, right? But the one who gets the single talent buried it. He's scared, okay? And so as the master comes back, he's he's applauding these other two for doing a great job, and we see in 26 here, uh, but his master answered him, you wicked and slothful servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and at my coming, I should have received what was mine, what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has the 10 talents. For to everyone who has more, who, excuse me, for everyone who has, more will be given and he will have an abundance. But for the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away." Okay, so God cares and he blesses us if we use it properly, if we do what we're supposed to be doing and we live our lives well and we use the gifts that God gives us properly, he blesses us for that and he grows us in that, okay? So this then continues into 11 and it goes through the gifts, right? It goes a little bit through the gifts. So Romans 12, six to eight uh, is where we're seeing some of these gifts. So having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, if the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Okay. And then we see here in 11, whoever speaks, as one who speaks oracles of God. Okay, so speaking in with oracles. So it's saying not using your own thoughts, but ratherly, ratherly, wow, rather faithfully sharing the word of God, letting the spirit speak through you, be an oracle, right? So oracles in that day, um, if you look in like pagan, 
pagan styles, oracles would typically get into some kind of uh, meditative trance, usually drug-induced or, you know, would have some kind of uh, induction ceremony that would put them in this trance, and then it was believed that they would actually be speaking through, like that the, their deity would speak through them, that they would actually be hearing from that deity. And so since we have the spirit within us, if God gives you the ability to speak, right, if he gives you words of wisdom, words of knowledge, um, sometimes God just speaks through us. And we notice that like, wow, that wasn't something that came from me. I wouldn't have said that. We recognize that. So we are to speak through the spirit and also through the actual word of God, through the Bible, right? We're supposed to take that and faithfully share God's word. And then he also says, though, whoever serves, so if you, some translations say minister, so whoever serves or ministers, not by your strength, but rather by the strength that God supplies. Okay, so we're not to be overcome with that. We're not supposed to go and try to do this on our own accord and by our own means, but allow God to work through us and let God supply our strength for that. And then he ends this with, so that God gets the glory. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Because it's his glory, not ours. Then it continues on. And he says, beloved. Now notice here, beloved, this is actually a transition because he finishes this section, right? This up to 11 was finishing that last section, that whole uh, ordeal that we saw from last week. Or, and it was saying that um, it matters how you live your life and you have to, you should do things in a certain way. God cares. And he's wrapping this up and he ends that section, that entire section with to him, to God belongs the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Okay. So God may be glorified through Jesus, right? Amen. And he ends that and he starts this brand new section with beloved, okay, which he's done this in the past. This is a, a, a cycle that he does. Now, beloved, we're starting this other section. Don't be surprised. Do not be surprised at the fiery trial. Why would he say don't be surprised? Well, because chances are they were actually very surprised. Like many people, when we accept Christ and we become a Christian, we tend to expect that life gets easier for some odd reason. Surprise, it doesn't, right? There's, there's an actual spiritual battle going on around us. And life is challenging. Life is hard. See, we live in a fallen world. And with this battle, if you're on God's side, unfortunately, there's a lot of people against you. And you get stuck in the middle of this battle. And if you choose God's side, it gets difficult. So he's saying, do not be surprised by this. Now, remember when he talks about trials and persecution, again, 63, 64 AD, right around that massive fire, the fire of Rome that Nero used as a catalyst to uh, get rid of and try to completely destroy Christianity. Okay. So it was a huge trial, right? When it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. Now, I do want to point out this fiery trial is the same fiery trial that he was speaking about, and it's the same Greek, by the way, that he was using in verse uh, chapter 1, verses 6 and 7, where he says, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. 
so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes through its test, though, excuse me, that perishes, though it is tested by fire. He's referring to the exact same type of fire, that testing fire that tests the purity of gold, right? So he's testing the purity of the metal, and this is the same fire that he's speaking about here, saying that this fiery trial is to test you, to remove some of the impurities, and to help develop your character, and to help let Christ shine through you, okay? This is a good thing, right? It is a purification, and it helps us to develop a better character, okay? And then we see in 13, glory revealed, but rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. So one, we want to look at here real fast, that you share Christ's sufferings. Now, it's been pointed out before that this sufferings was developed in, in a long line. Okay, it is a line of suffering. The prophets of old were persecuted. Christ was persecuted. And now you being part of that line and part of that lineage, now you are part of this suffering process. Is it nice? No, it kind of sucks. I'm going to be honest, but it's a part of the deal. And we should rejoice that we share in Christ's suffering because when his glory is revealed, we get to rejoice in that, where you get to be a part of that, right? And what this is saying here is he's, he's inferring that these trials are here. They're here to stay. This is just part of it. You get to have this part of these trials until the end, whether he comes back or whether we are um, raptured up and taken. Again, depending on your theology, it doesn't matter. They're here until the end, okay? And then 14, if you are insulted for the name of Christ, you're blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. Now, this is talking about wrongfully accused, okay? If you are insulted for the name of Christ, if you are wrongfully accused, look at this as a blessing, okay? This is being blessed. And we see this in Matthew 5, uh, 10 to 12. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Okay. Again, talking about, Hey, this is a lineage thing. We've already had this. You get to share in this part. Now I, I do want to point out this ends in, in this translation, and in most translations, it ends right there, okay? Verse 14 ends with, and, uh, uh, and of God rests upon you, okay? Saying that this rests upon you. The New King James Version actually has another sentence into this. Now, these come from two different manuscripts. So, essentially, um, there were two main manuscripts that were found that were basically identical but there were in a couple verses missing or a line or so added, but they didn't really change the text. It was just they're they're from different time frames. And so it's one of those which manuscript did they use for this? And so New King James uses a different manuscript, which adds um a little bit extra onto 14, which says, on their part, he is blasphemed, but on your part, he is glorified. Okay, and if we look at verse 14 as a whole, what's being said is we need to lean into your relationship 
with God. That strength and everything comes from God. And even though we have such a hard doing, whatever's happening is really tough, we lean into that relationship with God and he restores us and he restores that strength, which we see here in Isaiah chapter 40 says, he gives power to the faint and to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youth shall faint and be weary and young men shall fall exhausted, but they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary and they shall walk and not faint. Okay, God is going to restore you and replenish you with your strength if you rest in him, especially in these times. We see in 15, but let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, or as a meddler or a busybody, depending on your translation, right? A meddler or a busybody. He's saying, do not suffer for wrong. Okay, you are God's representatives. We are not to be doing wrong things. If we're going to suffer, we should suffer for Christ's sake, not for our own faults and our own wrongdoings. Now, I do find it interesting that they list in here a meddler or a busybody inside of this, this same list. So you have a murderers, thieves, evildoers, and busybodies. See, even, even back in six, 2,000 years ago, Getting into other people's business has never been a good thing. And he's saying, back off. You do not need to be a busybody. Don't let people persecute you because you can't keep your nose out of other people's business. That's, in a nutshell, what's being said. Even that is seen as a bad thing and something that they don't want you to do. And Okay? Now, 16... Fairly self-explanatory. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed and self-explanatory because we've explained this several times throughout here. Uh, do not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name because we literally just talked about this. Okay, and then 17. This is where we get a little bit more. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God. Now, just judgment is not in reference to a uh, salvation judgment, right? Not concerned about a salvation judgment, but really uh, looking at the evaluation of your work. So how you live your life. Judgment starts now. It's time for judgment to begin, but it begins at the household of God, okay? So we're looking at the evaluation of work. So how you live. Now, household of God is not the building, it is not a building. It's never been about a building, but it is about the people, which we see in chapter two, verse five. He's referencing the same thing back that he was already writing about. You yourselves, like living stones, are built up as a spiritual house, right? As Christ was a, was a living stone, you are a living stone being built into the spiritual house. So this house of God is you. It's you and me. And he's saying that this, this judgment of how you live and this evaluation of how you live your life starts with believers. It starts with the body. Okay. And thus, who do not obey? Now, Peter has used a couple recycling terms over and over again. And this is one of those. Okay. Who do not obey is in reference to people who do not accept the gospel. They're non-believers. Okay. Who do not obey? We see this in 2, 7 and 8. We see this in chapter 3, 1, chapter 3, 20. We now see this in 4, 17. He uses this phrasing a lot for this. 
Now we go in to, um, actually, let's go back one second. Look at this. For it is time for the judgment to begin at the house of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And then he pulls from Proverbs. Okay. He pulls from Proverbs 11, 31. Sorry, I'm looking at my paper and I'm... Mm -hmm. Oh, I was way up too, too high. All right, 1131. If the righteousness is repaid on earth, how much more the wicked and the sinner? Okay. And so if the righteous is scarcely saved, because it's not necessarily fully direct, but he's bringing the essence of the sin, right? What will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Okay. Saying no one deserves no one deserves salvation and no one deserves that grace and the mercy of God, okay? Because if you fall short, which we all fall short of the glory of God, amen? If we all fall short, none of us deserve this, not just the salvation, but even the mercy of God and, and God blessing us, okay? It's not deserved. It is God's grace and God's mercy that he gives, period. So it's only by the grace of God. And we see this uh, again in a salvation sense in Ephesians chapter two, for by, the, by grace, you have been saved through faith. It is not of your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. Okay, you can't work your way into this. God does care how we live and what we do with our life. God's eyes are on the righteous, okay? But you cannot earn it. You can't earn these things, right? You can't earn salvation. That is only by God's grace, okay? And if God doesn't hold back from his children, okay, we're adopted, right? We are adopted heirs. If God doesn't hold back from us, how much more will he do for his enemies, those who are against him, those who don't accept him, right? That's where he's getting with this is he's not holding back with us. How much more is he going to give to these people? And that's scary. That is a very scary thought and not something that we want to want to see. We see in the 19 here that we are to give everything, our soul. So therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good, okay? So we're to give our soul, give everything to God, the creator. I'm looking around here. I've got a lot of nice audio equipment. I've got my business and things like that going here. Well, that's fantastic. But if I'm gonna give everything to God, he's not taking this. I'm using it for him right now. He's using this right now. This is great. It's beautiful. That's what I can do. But when I die, it doesn't go with me. My everything is what I have when I have nothing left. And when I have nothing left, I'm dead. And if I'm dead, the only thing I have is my soul. So if I give God my soul, I'm giving God my all. I'm giving him my everything. And still using what I have here today, yes, obviously, because that matters. But I want to give him what truly, truly matters, which is my soul, and give that to God, the creator, who's in control of all. And he says to do this while doing good. So still do good. Still give God your soul, but you still need to live good. You still need to live a good life. And let's look here at Romans 8, 28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose, right? God does things a little bit more in the whole sense, right? Looking at the entire body, okay? Unfortunately, bad things still happen, but he does things that will help the body as a whole and help overall. Okay. 
Now we're looking at the takeaways. What can we take away from this? Uh, one, we should be motivated knowing that we are in the end times. Okay. Not saying like it's, it's time crunch time right now, although I'm not going to lie. It kind of looks a little bit more like that than it did uh, a couple months ago. <laughs> um, but we should be motivated by knowing we're in the end times, right? That salvation promise and that salvation plan has been fulfilled. Like we're, we're there and we should be motivated knowing that no one knows when it's actually ending. No one knows when Christ is coming back. No one knows when that rapture has happened. No one knows. And so we should be motivated to reach people and to love people and motivated with how we live our life, knowing that we are to live by love and we are to use the gifts that we've been given. Okay. And we know, we should know that struggles and that trials are a part of the walk. It's just a part of life. It's a part of being a Christian and a believer. Okay. And it purifies us. So we should look at the good in this. We should look at how is God changing me? How is God making this work in my life? What is he using this to change in my life? What is he using this to change in the body? Right? Is God changing the church right now? Let's look at today. Let's look at what's happening today. There's, we're still staying at home, right? How is he doing this? Is he changing how the body interacts? Is he renewing that fervor and that love for one another because we've become too distant? Is he using this as a time apart to make it draw closer together so that we can really rejoice when we go back together? I don't know. I'm asking. This is, these are questions. These are things for us to ponder and wonder. How is God using this to better the body? Okay. And God cares how we live and he holds us accountable with our lives. And this coincides with the live by love. And use the gifts that we've been given. God cares. He holds us accountable to how we live and how we use those gifts. So how has God gifted you? And how are you using that? And that's something you need to weigh out for yourself. All right, let's pray. God, I want to thank you again so much for today. I want to thank you for, for your word. I want to thank you for everyone who's been here going through this. God, I thank you that we, we have places that we can go, that we can be safe. I thank you for uh, the many blessings that you have given, God. And I ask that you continue to take care of everyone, that you bless your people, that you keep people safe and healthy. And those who are sick, God, I, I, I ask that you have your spirit touch them and you heal them and you have it go away. You heal broken bones. You heal this viral infection that's going around. You heal these locust swarm pandemics, these other plagues that are happening. God, I ask that you take these. God, that you show us if there's something that we're doing wrong, there's something that we need to change. God, that you impress that upon us and that you show us and that you tell us and that you give us the courage and you give us the strength to make the changes that we need to make. God, I ask that you be with our leaders, that you be with the leaders all around the globe. Father, help them make wise decisions. We know that you've put them in power, that none get to power except for by your will and that you allow it. God, so just use them. Have them make wise decisions. In Jesus' name, amen. 
All right. Well, thank you guys. Thank you for coming and joining me today. I hope you learned something out of this and we continue to grow together. Uh, we should be wrapping up First Peter Saturday morning. Same bat time, same bat channel. We'll see you then. Bye-bye.